0: Hello everyone, welcome to the very first episode of the Blue Elephant Podcast. This show is designed to be an incisive cinematic discussion between two analytical minds diving deep into a chosen film or film related topic. I'm Matthew of BlueElephantReviews.com, a blog where I post various reviews of new releases. This podcast is a connected effort um, and shares the same logo and uh, brand. I get literally dozens of readers. Um, and by dozens, I mean a dozen, if I'm lucky, every month. So uh, we're working up to the big leagues, but uh, there's some people who appreciate my work and uh, th- would be interested in a more analytical dive into, into some topics. So, as for my credentials, I have none, other than having watched far too many movies, and I've written both formally and informally about a large subset of them. So. Joining me on the podcast is my friend Anand, and I will let him introduce himself.
1: Hey guys, my name is Anand Chattery. Um, Yeah, just an amateur film buff. Uh, Love movies, love talking about movies, and wanted to do a deep dive on a movie that I found very interesting recently
0: uh, Burning. uh, Produced and directed in 2018. Uh, yeah, this is a film that both of us really enjoyed, and it even made my top ten list in 2018. I think the number three spot. Um, definitely check out that review. I'll, I'll link to it. All right, moving into the film discussion. I just want to let everyone know that this is going to be a pretty high-level discussion. Uh, high-level meaning in-depth, and we expect everyone to have seen the movie. It's gonna be super-duper spoilers, so make sure you watch this movie if you intend to listen to this, and I hope you get something out of it and you get to uh, think about some things you maybe didn't think about on your, your first watch. So I'll let Anon start things off. Um, we'll start, let's say, beginning of the movie. No place better.
1: Yeah, so um, I guess starting from the beginning of the movie, um, yeah, so basically at the beginning of the movie, you have the protagonist, jong uh just from first appearances, it seems like he's kind of your average part-time worker. Uh, at the very beginning of the movie, it's very, uh, I guess, like, unceremonious. He's just walking up the street to make some deliveries, and then all of a sudden, uh, he reaches the shopping center. The, the music swells up, and you kind of notice, or, yeah, he, he kind of passes through as if nothing's arrived, but then at the very... Uh, front of the shopping center, there is some girl who starts to notice jong um as he walks through. Um, when jong su finishes the delivery, the girl flags him down and says, hey, come back later for the raffle drawing. Um, They're in front of the uh, storefront for, uh, I guess, like a prize raffle. Uh, it turns out, after jong su returns from the raffle, that the girl has recognized jong su as they had lived... Uh, in the same childhood village but she's seemingly unrecognizable having gone through plastic surgery um when Jong su just hadn't recognized this girl from her past um
0: yeah i i think it's really interesting the how he films that scene with her just being she looks like basically a background character at first and then uh then she's like you know one of the main characters in the plaza. it's like really emphasizing how she comes out of nowhere into his life
1: yeah and i think um First shots and last shots, to me, are very important to kind of understanding a film. And one of the things that I found was really interesting about this opening scene is that it's not like, uh, Jong-Soo, the main character, isn't given, like, some Hollywood treatment. Actually, the opening of the, the scene, it's just like a shot of a crate where he's off frame just taking a, a smoke break. Um, people are filmed very naturally, naturally, and, uh, the film is, throughout the film, the camera follows jong Su, but I think early on the director kind of maintains this distance between the camera and the character, uh, signaling um, that we're following this character, but we may not necessarily believe or
0: see things in the same way this character does. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's, that's a big... Uh... Point, I guess later in the film as we, we get to know some things, but uh, yeah, let's uh, I'll, I'll let you continue talking about uh, this relationship. Yeah,
1: for sure. And then um, I guess um, one of the techniques that they use, and uh, one of the reasons actually why I like this movie is that it's uh, it uses language and uh, uh cinematic presentation in a very interesting way. Um, it's a film of setups and derived conclusions uh, asking the audience to uh, ask or let me phrase it differently ask the audience to interpret what they've seen um, and also challenges them to see like what you see is that reality so just as a quick example um, Jaime very flirtatiously asks Jiangsu do you Mm -hmm. have a girlfriend Uh, and then he quickly says no and then she replies well what are you gonna do with this girl's watch Uh, uh, you know and cut to the next scene when uh, right after they had their initial conversation they both decide to take a smoke break and they catch up on their respective uh, time uh, I guess outside of college and Jiangsu's military experience and Jaime's retail experience Uh, right before that scene ends Zhang uh, Su has this watch that he won from a prize raffle and asks Jaime, hey, do you want this? So, in, in that little vignette, you have this idea of uh, Jaime putting the idea in the viewer's head of, hey, you know, it's, this is an, a symbol, an item of, I guess, a desire for a relationship. And Zhang Su, whether intentional or unintentional, or if he's just following a whim, decides to give this watch that he earned back to Jaime as perhaps a signal, interesting, uh, a signal uh, indicating that he wants a potential relationship with Jaime. Yeah. And I think that the film does a really uh, great job of just these little subtle cues, these yeah. setups, and direct. I, I think
0: it's a very subtle, yeah, subtle. Um, exchange of rings, sort of a uh, metaphor. But, uh, anyways, that might be going a little too, too far. But yeah, moving along to, they go get uh, a meal together, followed by going to her apartment and things escalate. But uh, uh, yeah, talk talk about the uh, the apartment. There's some some symbolism there. Yeah, I think um,
1: actually the director n- noted that uh, a lot of this movie was shot on location, and I guess in that particular apartment complex uh, that they filmed, uh, it's a section of soul that uh, there's a lot of wealth and prosperity around it, but there's these little pockets where like poverty and hard and existence really happens. So, uh, Jaime lives in this dark damp apartment but uh, she has it's an interesting uh thing that happens where she talks about like the sunlight that goes into her apartment and says you know it's a dark and small apartment but every so often the uh, the sun uh, bounces off the soul tower and shines into my room but you have to be lucky to see it um and towards the end of the scene where uh Junsoon and hye are together in the apartment uh, he notices this, you know, ever so slightly beams of sunlight. So, again, it's another example, kind of like, you know, you give this watch to your girlfriend. Um, you know, this sunlight is rare uh, right after uh, a scene where they've spent some time together. It's setups and derived conclusions. I think the audience understands that without anything overtly signal to them that jong Su seeing the sunlight uh, means that he understands it's like a rare occasion and there's some kind of cosmic significance to him in this moment and I thought that was just a great way the whole 20 minutes effectively I would classify as kind of uh, like a meat cute like basically its own like mini-rom-com, uh, so to speak and yeah, I just thought it was great and it sets up the foundation for the rest of the film really well with the way that Jong Su navigates his own life.
0: Yeah, so I think yeah, it sets up the chemistry between the two characters, but it also makes an effort to show you that neither of these two characters is quite right. There's there's something a little bit off about both of them. Like this this guy Jong Su, he's very I don't want to say like borderline mentally slow but he's just kind of drifting drifting around it feels like in the the way he's established and this this girl doesn't seem really particularly attached to anything or motivated by anything in life you know she's just a a what's the term retail salesman but a dancer combination and he's this this jobless or basically you know unemployed sort of guy who's, who's wandering around and uh, both of them don't really they're not really articulate and you're just kind of okay it's nice that they found each other but is this really like an actual romance I don't know so. <laughs> no yeah and I actually I think I agree for,
1: for the most part um, they do both have that kind of uh, waywardness about them they kind of circle back, I guess, to the the first time that they they went out together and they had like their first uh, scene in the restaurant. Um, uh, I, I what I would consider an instrumental scene with the construction of the film is this uh, scene where Jaime describes uh, her hobby of pantomiming and the idea of little hunger and great hunger. Um, so with this idea of pantomiming, the character Jaime. Uh, mentions to Jong Su that uh, as she's pantomiming her eating a tangerine, Jong Su is like so amazed and says, Wow, you, you're so talented! Like, how do you do that? Um, and then Jaime says, You know, this has nothing to do with talent, you just have to, uh, you don't imagine the tangerine is there, you just imagine that there isn't a tangerine. And then she goes on to talk about little hunger and great hunger, little hunger being. Literal hunger, as if uh, an, an individual's hungry um and then great hunger, meaning an individual who has a hunger for the meaning of life, and I think you actually identified something really important about the two of them is that they are both wayward um yeah, and yeah, I think it's it's interesting because it doesn't necessarily identify so much as like a there's an interplay between kind of what they wanted of life and where they are in life, if that makes sense. Yes,
0: I mean it's very obvious that um, this girl has considered you know what actually great hunger means, you know, searching for a meaning in life, and yeah, and all that's connected to this her study of like Africa, uh, and she she's planning to go to Africa, the, the Kalahari Desert, the Bushmen. She's referring to this foreign culture, and it's sort of like a sort of window into understanding a new life and uh, right that sort of yeah. is, the, is the transition into the next uh, part of the plot but I think this this first yeah, it's about 20 minutes I guess um, they, they do get intimate and it's all, all of that is very awkward and it's all like synced yeah. up with you know the light coming into the room and it's all very uh, symbolic but it's not very obvious what it's symbolic of so that's um
1: yeah my last question
0: for you though is uh for sure yeah for this part of the film is is the cat real or not oh true (laughs) oh i guess
1: we haven't even talked about the cat yeah so yeah sorry yeah so that's uh, uh it seems as though so the reason why Jaime invited jong Su back to her apartment is that she says that she has a cat uh, and she's going away for a trip to Africa and that uh, jong Su needs to feed the cat. Um, but what's interesting is that jong Su arrives at the apartment and then it's a small apartment you see in the film. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, doesn't notice any cat. So then he playfully uh, tells her it's like, oh, is there really a cat here? Should I imagine that there isn't a cat? Uh, which I thought was doubly funny just because it shows that not only um, jong Su can be playful in that same way back to Jaime, but also how effective of a listener he is. So it seems like you can kind of see the seeds that Jaime's already put in, into jong Su and I guess his affections towards her already at that point. Uh, so whether or not the cat is real, that's the question, isn't it? <laughs>
0: yeah. And uh, one other note I do have for this part of the film is Jaime specifically mentions that jong Su called her ugly when she yeah. was uh, younger, like in middle school, I think. And right. she also you know, mentions having had plastic surgery at the very beginning. And right. So that's a sort yep. of another aspect of this. She says that right before they have sex, and it's very like off-putting, I guess, to mention that and then move into that. It's very strange, and sort of another thing that makes you a little weirded out by the relationship. But
1: yeah, and it's it's like um, it's in, it's like they it's introduced as if they didn't really know each other, but there's such a big history between them. Um, and actually, that's that's another great point because. Um, this idea of like, she talks about the fact that she's had plastic surgery done, but then, you know, cut to them talking about their past and the fact that uh, Jong Su made fun of her looks as when they were kids. Uh, and another conclusion the audience can make is that did she get this procedure done? As a result of something that Jong Su said to her in the past, um, you know, nothing's really cleared up in that sense. Uh, her history is unclear. How she got to this current point is unclear. But we as an audience can kind of engage with what's being said and try to think about how these people are, as I guess, like, um, how they come to this point in their lives
0: um, yeah it, it puts the seed of like is this girl trying to do some sort of revenge on him in some way you get a little anticipatory of you know is this all good you know oh yeah for sure so yeah. uh, anyways I think we've discussed everything here and we've set up the the transition point where she goes to Africa um, and asks Su to wash this cat that we haven't seen but we we think it's think it's real. Some things later in the film suggest it's real. But the, uh... The thing is that... Jung soo is, like, fixated on this girl at this point. You know, he's coming in, um... Doing things with himself with the light in the room in the apartment while she's gone. And, uh... At the same time... So he, he clearly has some sort of, you know, affection and attachment to her. At the same time, we get introduced to his, uh his father issues uh, if you want to talk about that some more cuz he he ends up going to court to sit in on his dad, you know, getting getting charged with some some assault charges. Yeah, it's it's so uh
1: along with I guess the main through line of uh Jongsu's romance with haimi there's also uh Jongsu's relationship with his father. So when haimi gets uh takes his ship takes her trip to Africa at the same time uh, his father who happens to be in some legal trouble um, later in the film you learn that he Jong soos father uh, assaulted effectively a government officer and was being put into trial. Um, uh, Jong soo has to take care of the family farm at Paju in the meantime. It's a location that's uh, I guess it's close to North Korea Um, and during the time where he's taking care of uh That whole segment of the film, basically after Jaime takes her trip in africa it's you learn more about Jiangsu. its family relationships, his motivation um, and kind of it, it's not overtly said, but um, you kind of learn uh, just from looks and glances that Jiangsu. Um, has towards his father uh, I guess for a little bit of context there's a scene where Jiangsu Su visits his father at a courtroom um, they don't exchange words at all he's up at front uh, uh, I guess in the uh, podium ballot area he's kind of in the audience There's a lot of distance between the two physically and you can figure emotionally as well because all it takes for the father the kind of Shui his son is that the Right before his uh, sentencing, or um, his his first kind of uh, I guess legal proceeding, he just stares blankly at his son, who's sitting alone in the audience, and the son just walks away. Um, so there's definitely some issues there, um, and that gets expanded on later on in the film. Yeah, um, as he talks about it with uh, the other characters ben kim who's introduced later
0: yeah so the the big emphasis in this section is the distance between him and the rest of his family because i think right before that he goes back to the the family farm so at at this point we're introduced to basically the two contrasting settings of the film you know in the city where like jaime's apartment is and then the rural the farm area outside the city where jong-su um has his residency at his family's place and he has to be there because no one else is there due to his father, you know, being legal trouble. Yeah. And so and then, he, it's it's, and very it's very empty. He's distant from his father. It, you can s- see the isolation, and all, all that's at the farm is this one, you know, cow, old calf. Yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah. It's, yeah, and uh, it's a little creepy. Uh,
1: <laughs> so yeah, actually, um, and. The calf uh, plays an important symbol within the movie as well because, uh, uh, I guess, within certain cultures, uh, the idea of a calf is symbolized as a symbol of innocence, um, and uh, Jiangsu's father is a livestock farmer, and as a livestock farmer, it's very interesting to note that he has barely any livestock minus this one singular calf. Uh, the first time within the film that jong the protagonist, interacts with the calf. He gets up real close to the calf. He feeds it hay, sings to it, talks to it. Um, so as an audience member, you can kind of see the relationship that jong Su has with the calf. And much like how the calf is like left alone and abandoned within the farm, you can kind of make a parallel between the calf and jong Su himself. Uh, being within this uh, large, desolate farm away from large segments of society, uh, basically um, maintaining his family's property and somewhat his family's legacy, uh, and taking care of his singular calf (coughs) as the... (laughs) just turning himself into a livestock farmer, just like his father.
0: Um, So that's very just out of place for him because we find out you know early in the film that he's an aspiring writer he went to college and got a degree in creative writing yeah of of all things and uh he's that that sets up also the uh is everything as it appears and from his point of view but uh i won't get into that right now but he he's very ill-suited towards this type of life um by all observable measures.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, um, and I guess it kind of speaks to the, uh, Faulkner, uh, uh, influences within the story. So, um, yeah, talk about the source
0: material to this, uh, real quick.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, this film Burning is an adaptation of, Haruki uh, Murakami's short story named Barn Burning, which in turn is also an
0: adaptation of, uh, William Faulkner short story by the same name. Um, I'm not sure. And, I called an adaptation of the Faulkner. It shares the same name.
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess different, uh, different right, stories. So,
0: different stories. Same. Yeah, I agree. So, but, but both yeah, are, but, both are influences on the film for sure. Yeah.
1: So, both Faulkner and Murakami are influences on this film, *Barn Birding, And the director Lee, uh, the director of this film, had an interesting quote where he talked about writing this film and described it as a Faulkner protagonist navigating his way through the Murakami world. <clears throat> Interesting. And yeah, and uh, I guess I'm because I'm familiar a little bit with both Faulkner and Murakami, I, I think that quote hit doubly to me because um, when we were just talking about some of the the family burdens and stripes that Jong the protagonist, has had to endure, a lot of Faulkner's work... Uh, deals with this kind of uh, generational burden like uh, the sons uh, paying for the mistakes of the fathers and uh, just things we inherit from our parents that may not necessarily be things that we want you know just like a Faulkner protagonist is someone who's uh, short end of the stick you know has a chip on their shoulder the um, the Jiangsu of the world Uh, an educated, college educated person who has to deal with uh, I guess some of the downsides of his family legacy.
0: Yeah, for sure. So let's uh, let's keep moving through the plot to uh, get to the, the next bit. Because through this part where Jong Su is alone, Jaime's, you know, off in Africa or is she? Just kidding. Um <laughs> so yeah, he he goes back to her apartment again, you know, he, he's touching yeah. himself with the light coming through the window. So I have a theory about the symbolism of you know light reflecting off a tower coming into the window. I think it's a phallic symbol. Prove me wrong. But anyways, I won't spend too long on that. We yeah, still obviously. don't I, we, we still yeah. don't see this cat. So, yeah. you know, it's very strange, you know, but we see cat poop, so we think it's real. It's just it the director's messing with you through this, you know. Everything's yeah. not not quite right. You're just It's why you stay interested in the movie, but it's it's a little it's a little weird um, yeah it's interesting because it's like um, <laughs> at, at
1: this part of the film it's the, he's putting in the seeds of uh, you know uh, everything may not be as it seems um, I, I sure. think also yeah I mentioned uh, Faulkner protagonist in a Murakami world the second part of that uh, Murakami is really big the Japanese author which this uh, film was adapted from uh, the short story adapted from um, he's really big at questioning reality, like what what are you seeing, is that the truth? And I, I think that escalates further and further uh, the more you continue watching the film and it just plays out in very interesting and thoughtful ways.
0: Definitely. So, so yeah, so this last time he's in Jaime's apartment, he gets the call to go pick her up from the airport, goes to the airport and we get introduced to the third character third major character Ben Steve Yoon of Walking Dead fame <laughs> so he uh, he inst- I, I instantly that. stands out and yeah. this guy you know he he carries himself with some uh, he's a big fan of himself that's some just sweat. say that <laughs>
1: yeah yeah it's uh it's funny cuz uh yeah i guess they do like first introductions within the airport the whole scene is, sh- is shocking because, uh, I guess from Jong-Soo's perspective, you know, Jaime called jong su to pick her up from the airport and, you know, he thought he'd just be picking up Jaime but here comes Ben. Like, a, um, When they're, uh, they all decide as a group in the airport to go and grab some food together. Um, Jong-Soo's driving, Jaime is uh, in the passenger seat and then Ben, the character, is sitting in the back and
0: you know, just, like, (laughs) bragging about himself. You you very quickly, like... He he literally says, uh, uh, superior DNA. Yeah. Talking to his mom, right? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) You you gave me superior DNA or something like that. Yeah. It's,
1: uh... Yeah, it's very, um... (laughs) It's funny because... and I I think this just kind of goes to the casting of the film as well, because... Uh, you know Stephen Yeun he's like an amazing actor in my opinion and oh, yeah. i love them in the walking dead very likable guy but exactly
0: it's great casting for that reason yeah
1: he's uh he's playing this kind of i guess not exactly a a douche per se but a guy with douche like tendencies where he's very braggadocious you know as you mentioned and uh very full of himself but he's so likable yeah, as he's... a person ridiculously
0: gregarious, yeah so, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah um so then after that uh the plot continues they decide to uh they have their first sit down meal uh together the three of them Jaime yeah this is this is one room. of the
0: most important scenes in the movie i think yeah um, i i'd agree yeah the, the lunch scene after the airport mm-hmm um, uh yeah so
1: so Jaime kind of digs deeper into her experience within um her African experience and then they talk about uh, her sunset tour where she discusses about um, well first she was very excited to kind of talk to uh Su but then quickly works herself up as she discusses this uh, tour she took where she saw the sunset it was getting darker and darker and then internally she felt as though something inside her just told her the world is ending. She had a very emotional reaction, and she felt as though, as the sunset fell within um, uh, uh, her sunset tour, she just uh, felt as though she, she felt as though she's going to die effectively.
0: Uh, and she didn't cry. And then. Yeah, m- more than that. Yeah, she, she transitions from excited to sad. But uh, yeah, specifically very, very... wrote down this quote. She says, like, I wish I could vanish. I wish I could vanish, yeah. And that, you know, brings in your uh, your first clues as to sort of the, what's actually going on here with this, her and this new guy. Yeah. And, um, but then, yeah, right after that, yeah, Ben goes, people yep. crying uh, is really, really interesting, you know. Really? I, I've never shed a single tear. I've never so, shed a single tear, like, yeah. Whoa, is this dude a sociopath? Like... <laughs>
1: Yeah. So it's, no empathy. It is so interesting because it's like, what makes up uh, Ben as a character? Is it, is he, yeah, as you said, does he like actually have no empathy or has he uh, lived such a privileged life so as to not experience emotions like that? Actually, Jong Su uh, asks Ben, and do you not feel sadness? When which Ben responds, uh I may have felt sad at some point but since I've never cried I don't know if that was true sadness um, so you can kind of see the interplay between the two characters where um, their personalities start to clash already yeah. at that first uh, uh, yeah. dinner and then the corresponded relationships I guess to their respective quote unquote classes You know, yeah. the rich class the class yeah once
0: again the director sets it up very uh, precisely with this guy coming out of nowhere similar to you know Jaime at the beginning of the film and then you're already on guard against him because like who, who is this dude and then yeah right into oh this guy's saying some psychopathic things so you're you're on guard against Ben despite you know his his outward you know friendliness for sure. Yeah, and it's
1: yeah, and then you also notice things too because Ben uh, serves as kind of a threat towards uh, Jong-Soon and its like, blossoming relationship. Um, and there are things that Ben's starting to notice about Jaime that seemed they were private, intimate moments between Jong-Soon and Haimi. For example, uh, the first time Jong-Soon and Haimi got on date, uh Haimi falls asleep in her chair and Su decides just to sit next to her uh kind of peacefully just letting her sleep and waiting for her to wake up um Haimi does the same thing again when it was the three of us the three of them uh Su, Ben and her uh she falls asleep and then Ben remarks oh isn't it so cute she falls asleep like that just 10 seconds so as an audience member understanding the movie from jong Su's perspective, what was set up as a personal uh, cute moment between the characters jong Su and Jaime kind of gets entreated on by Ben noticing the same behavior uh within Jaime. So it's... These little challenges start to come up throughout the film, and I think they're
0: played in yeah. very interesting and subtle ways. A, <laughs> and at a... the end of the... Yeah. That's, a, yeah, that's a very good point, you know, because at, at the end of all this, Ben takes uh, Jaime home. You know, Jong-Soo yeah. doesn't put up a fight there. Yeah. And you immediately are concerned. But You're concerned by this, despite, you know, with no other context, you wouldn't be. But with the context of the film, you are very yeah. much on guard. And uh, I personally think this is, at this point in the film, Jong-Soo... Has lost Jaime, just you know, at a higher level than you know. Never he he sees her again, but I, I think it's over between them after this scene. That's interesting. So, yeah, I think um,
1: you make a good point. Uh, it, I I don't think he necessarily like if there's a definitive loss. I don't think it's necessarily at this point, but it after this first dinner, it does. Start to hit a pattern, a negative pattern of uh, trying to recapture whatever that sunlight moment was and just repeated attempts and failures. Um, but I, I think you bring up a good point. It's like you, you kind of track where these characters are in the relationship between each other in these like pivotal scenes, these like essentially conversation scenes, but the way they're framed and kind of the conversations that happen uh, the yeah. relationships unfold yeah.
0: so the scene I have coming after this one is him going, jong going back to the, the Pajiu house in the countryside and this is something I didn't mention earlier but every time he goes to his house he gets a phone call and yep. there's no response when he says hello and this yep. happens two or three times and We're we're never made to know Who it is Um, Yeah At one point in the movie Actually I think We'll we'll talk about that When we get there But Anyways At this point It's just really weird And adds to sort of That creepy emptiness In his life But uh, if you have uh, Any inkling You know Because I When I first watched it Is this his dad Trying to call him Is this You know We learned he, he lost it Or his mother left Is this his mother Trying to call him And not having the nerve To talk
1: it's yeah, and I I think it's um the more times you kind of like look at the film, I think your the questions you ask are a little bit different because I think I asked like first like who's calling, but then the more times you look at it, it, it it's like irrelevant who's calling because yes. it's it's more yeah exactly I, it, it's more like what is the effect on John Suu's the character um these like phantom calls that happen. You typically happen at moments where jong is feeling uh, alienated and kind of removed, so by having this attempt at a connection via phone call with no voice at the other end, just really highlights that uh, mentality within himself. Um, And there's several phantom calls that happen throughout the film.
0: Uh, They really punctuate just kind of what his existence is in Paju. Yeah, um... So other than that, he begins writing a petition to help out his dad and you know, circulates it to his neighbors, and the neighbors are like this is a lie, this guy was never friendly. <laughs> yeah, his dad's a <laughs> shithead, yeah. yeah his, his, dad's, his dad's not not, not a well liked individual. For sure, yeah. And yeah. um Yeah, I, I read the Faulkner Barn Burning and that fits very much in line with the theme of that having uh. this uh this irascible dad whose anger issues gets the family into trouble and causing a rift between father and son um and the the father basically makes it unlivable for the son to be you know in the in the local community that's a that's a big you know faulkner influence there but um right so the uh the weird three-way dates continue yeah it's uh <laughs> what is it? is it the restaurant scene that came up after this after this one yeah i have the palm reading one palm, where, yeah yeah if yeah you want to cafe. talk about that
1: yeah so it's um
0: <laughs> it's funny uh
1: i guess jongsu still holding on to hope that Jaime still has the same affection towards him so uh, <laughs> and man I, I get annoyed i feel bad for Jong because effectively like uh he gets a call. He shows up at the restaurant. He thinks uh, it's Jaime that's excited to see him, but uh, it's Jaime and Ben both. Um, when he arrives, he arrives with a smile on his face, and then he notices like a third cop. It's like who's that cop? It's like oh, it's Ben. And uh, actually, she just points upwards. So uh, this is kind of starting the uh, the comparisons between Ben and Jungsu as a person. Uh, you kind of see this similar visual motif of. Ben being in an elevated position uh, just uh, for the audience members. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the sports car kind of, behind him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like the cafe is like in a basement level. He's, uh, jong is looking upwards towards Ben who's taking a call at the outside of the restaurant while he's inside the restaurant. Um, the sun's shining up. on him. Yeah. sun's shining on him. <laughs> he looks like a quote-unquote god. Uh, there's a glass barrier between them so it looks as though he's like kind of in that type of presentation style um you know just like behind the presented glass so um yeah it's uh the cafe scene is just like another element towards her kind of love triangle where (laughs) ben i guess like uh jongsu comes in the in the middle of a conversation that ben and Jaime were having ben returns to the cafe and says hi and uh, Ben is reading Jaime's poem. Uh, it's basically a whole uh, flirtation that Ben has with Jaime. He says that, um, yeah, you have like a stone in your heart, and he basically does this like palm reading to just like flirt with Jaime while Su is watching this whole thing. Um, yeah, and it's it's like another tick towards, yeah, the relationship between Ben and Jaime seem to be progressing further further along um, than jong wanted.
0: Yeah, but there's an interesting part of this, because he says, when reading her poem, that her issue is that she has a stone in her heart that prevents her from fully enjoying life. Fully enjoying or, life, yeah. Or, or telling a guy that she likes, um, that she actually likes him. Yeah, and when and then... when he says that, she glances at jong Su though. Yeah, yeah. Um, a, lo- uh, a guy that
1: Preventing her from telling a guy that she actually likes him. Yeah, it's a... I think the way I interpreted that... It's very hard, actually, to read what Jaime is feeling about the two men. Yeah, actually, I would like to hear your thoughts a little bit on this, too.
0: Okay, so I don't know if we want to talk more about the movie and get towards the end, but I I think I understand this scene. Yeah. With my overall interpretation of the movie. Yeah, what do you and, think? And Ben being basically a parachute out of her existence, her current existence, and how she chooses that over the affections of a guy that would keep her in, you know, uh, a different... Or her, her current type of life. You know? Yeah. So and she she's stuck between the two, but I think she's made her choice to, to take the out with Ben, you know. Yeah, but, uh, so taking an out with Ben to
1: vanish out of existence. Yeah,
0: what that out is. Yeah, we'll talk about later.
1: Very very interesting.
0: So yeah, after that, so Ben is just totally fine though with Su being around, which makes this super awkward, because you know. Yeah, it's thinking, like nothing
1: phases yeah. Ben as a character. nothing. It's so cool,
0: and. It's like yeah. come back to my place for pasta, and that's. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: just like. Yeah, he, he is a god, as he says himself. Yeah. And uh so <laughs> yeah, next... <laughs> I I have the quote written. Yeah, in that next scene. Yeah, says, so they they go back yeah. uh to Ben's apartment and Ben decides to the faucet <laughs> for the group of them. And actually what's what's the exact he, quote he's like... he's talking yeah,
0: about uh his, his culinary expertise and he's like I make offerings to myself that I can consume
1: <laughs> <laughs> Like <laughs> like an offering to the god yeah. yeah it's like he he postulates himself as like this uh godlike figure and he, yeah it, it's it's played in a way that you actually can't tell if he's being playful or not or if he really is full of himself i think yeah. that's uh that could that's like a little bit up to interpretation with the
0: way that the audience views the scene exactly because so, right after that they drop in you know metaphor. He's like, yeah, it's all metaphor. And it's like John Sue so knows <laughs> what that means. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's uh, like, and there's, it's this this a of, <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple of
1: It's like, a couple of like meta references sprinkled throughout. But the whole dinner scene is like so bizarre cuz yeah. it's just like you slowly get into Ben's world, but the further you get into Ben's world, the more you kind of are unsure of him it's like the more you learn about him the less you know um, and they have a so in the scene where the three of them are at Ben's apartment Jaime and jong take a break they're uh, taking a smoke break uh, on Ben's balcony which actually it's uh, kind of a repeated visual motif of just like the pair of them smoking um, callback to kind of the, the first time they've met within the film um the kind of contrast, I guess, their relationship at the beginning was very familial, but now it's more Jung Su's worried because he thinks that Ben poses some kind of threat on Jaime. What kind of threat? He's not totally sure of, but he asks questions like, how how much older is uh, Ben than me? Jaime responds, six or seven years. It's, and then uh, Ben asks, uh, how... How can he be this uh, young and rich? Um, uh, what is what was the line that he did? Like
0: uh, listening to music while cooking pasta. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Basically, I want to mention that right before this balcony scene, that's when he's in the bathroom. Jungsu is in the bathroom, and he finds this box of like makeup. Yeah. Utensils. Uh, for lack of a better term. Um, You only get a brief glance at it, but it's very clearly female, you know, utensils. And then there's, like, more random personal items that are very clearly, you know, feminine in a drawer. Yeah. That's, like, right underneath that. And so it's basically this guy is a player with the women is the naive assumption, I think, there. Yeah. And... And then, yeah, they, they, I think that's what triggers um, Jong-Soo to be like, what does this guy want with you? What right. is he What is he using you for? And then starts asking all these questions. And then uh, this is where the great Gatsby reference comes in. He's like, he's a Gatsby. And he, he makes this other weird comment, like, there's lots of Gatsbys in Korea. And I I have a theory about what that line means. But, I actually i'd like to hear your thoughts on that so this goes back to how i interpret the ending of the film and ben's character in the in the total
1: oh, okay but, we can we can circle yeah back so to i'll
0: that. circle back to this but just you know gatsby you know made his wealth being a bootlegger right during prohibition i th- i think that lends credence to one interpretation of the film but anyways um so yeah after this uh, Ben's like, yo, you're my pals still, so come, come have dinner with me and my other ritzy friends. <laughs> and, yeah, this is where Jaime, um, to the whole group, describes and demonstrates the, the little hunger and the great hunger dances that she described before. And, uh, once again, yeah, you're getting more camera angles of Ben sort of sitting like a king, basically, just watching her. Yeah. And... Yeah, with the look of crossed. the power structure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that that was a key scene too, because uh uh within the dinner scene like uh Jaime demonstrates the little hunger, great hunger dance and it's actually a little bit heartbreaking because she puts in a lot of passion into this dance is something that she explained with a lot of uh, fervor fervor the Jong Su, but as she's dancing you have a group of uh bends, I like guess friends surrounded by this table uh they egg her on to do this dance to begin with and then she says oh it's a, is it okay uh, I'll, I'll need a beat uh, <laughs> she's dancing in this uh this restaurant uh with this uh it, it, it's a little bit uh it's a very out there dance it's like a lot of movement and everything um, and you can kind of see the people behind the dinner table just like stifling laughter um, there's a moment where jong watching Jaime dance and then she looks back or he looks back into Ben and you can see Ben stifling a yawn so just that quick glance of guilty glances of yawning and just stifling uh, his reaction kind of sparks an anger within jong Su because yeah
0: it's showing like a class divide, and it's she's almost like a plaything. it feels like for these these ritzy people, yeah definitely. It's a little it's very uncomfortable, and uh yeah, jong Su is getting getting because he he feels that she's you know not being respected, I think on some level so
1: yeah, and uh going back to that idea of like great hunger is that for her this dance had at least. If not like a, a complete meaning to her, at least a semblance of a meaning where she's dancing to effectively understand, like, I want to find some meaning in my life. But having that flipped on her um, and being treated like a plaything really, really hurt Jong Su. And nothing is really said in words, it's a lot of it's in glances. So it's a lot that's kind mm-hmm. of interpreted, I guess, for the audience. But there's a lot of, uh, I guess power in the way that scene is acted
0: um oh yeah the, it's it's all body language and positions and you know uh, the the director of this film he's masterful you and i I think what's following that scene there's a a hard cut towards
1: uh uh from Jaime's like uh, great hunger dance to the the group of them, Ben his friends Jaime and jung su uh dancing at a dance club in the so, club. In the club, yeah, so it's uh, <laughs> bouncing music. There's a f- few moments where uh, music is within the film, so it's always kind of something to note whenever that happens. Um, you go from a dance that uh, it's meant to trying to find some meaning in life to just like a bunch of meaningless dance in a club just for fun. So, again, exasperating the difference between uh, the classes where... Uh, ben and his friends are kind of living this life where they may, may not necessarily have to deal with the struggle of finding uh, they may not have this great hunger um, may not have this kind of desire to find the meaning of life so much as Jaime did within her experiences um, and I thought it was just interesting to kind of note like the way that these scenes are stitched together and just what that meant for Ben and of friends and his
0: attitudes towards uh Jong-soon Jaime's backgrounds yeah it's a very purposefully edited film yeah so that brings us into the farmhouse sequence which is probably the most like loaded one of the most loaded you know sequences yeah in the
1: film. I I made a note I, I said the uh the farmhouse sequence the the scene in which um jong Su is back at his family's house. He receives a call from Jaime. Uh, Jaime and Ben are in a car on the way over to visit Ben and his family's house. Uh, this scene, I would consider, is the fulcrum of the film. Um, basically, yeah. when uh, kind of jong Su really starts to kind of question uh, his reality, his perspective, kind of the narratives that he starts to build for himself. So just, um, I guess, to kind of dig more into the the plot um, you know you have the three of them they arrive at the farmhouse um, <clears throat> Jaime uh, they, they say they're pleasantries and then Jaime mentions a story about a well where uh, she's reflecting uh, on Su's house like oh I, I used to have a house that lived here we used to be childhood neighbors there was one time when I was seven years old I fell into a well and I was crying for hours, and there's no one there to save me except for Jeng Su. so um, she brings up this childhood story
0: and says that Jong Su doesn't even remember this story. Um, she, so, makes a, she makes a point to say that her house and this well are, are gone without a trace it also before this.
1: Right, so kind of relating back to that uh, theme of uh, Van- vanishing vanishing existence and non-existence. Um, yeah, so she makes a point to say that, uh, she mentions the Well story, um, and then they proceed to just to kind of sit in the front house, uh, they drink a little bit, they talk, uh, Ben uh, brings out a joint, four to three of them to share, um, <clears throat> and it, yeah, that's kind of like a... Uh, when the scene transitions into Jaime's, I guess, naked dance throughout the sunset, um, great. It's it's a, a very interesting scene, and with the the context of it, so basically like Jaime's, his she's dancing, uh, the sun is setting in the background, um, and just the two men, uh, Jiangsu and uh, Ben, are in the back watching her dance and. The camera is focused on Jaime for the most part as she's dancing. A lot of her in silhouette, um, the kind of dance I guess that she would have danced, uh, like a, a meaningful dance where she's just expressing, I guess, her yearning for kind of more meaning in her life. Well, uh, I'm gonna
0: I'm gonna jump in into the sure. interpretive dance part here. So it begins, you know, after she takes her top off and starts going into the the sunset. First of all this use of sunset lighting in this movie is absolutely gorgeous. But, oh, that's, um, yeah, it's great. But she she does this like butterfly symbol sort of motion when she yeah. starts starts it off. So, you know, she's taken taking her clothes off and she's doing this and it it's very clearly like liberation is the the message at the beginning. But she gets very clearly more sad as she continues and The motions toward the end, I believe they start mimicking what she had done in the Great Hunger Dance with, you know, the the hands raised higher, search, and I I think this is alluding to the fact that she has found a way to be free of her previous life, but still hasn't found that meaning, that great meaning for life, and um, which is, you know, the the reason for the sadness, because soon after this, you know, she, she falls asleep again you know every time before she like falls asleep she gets very very sad and you know what is that alluding to precisely i don't know but i i think that is what the director is trying to communicate there through through the dancing Um, yeah and i guess because it's fixated on it for so long
1: yeah and uh thanks for bringing that in focus because i think uh my Jaime is an interesting character to me because uh, it seems like there's an interesting question to have There is is that, is she uh, hungry for the meaning of life or is she yearning to be hungry for the meaning of life? If that makes sense. I think there's a distinction to be made there where, and just to kind of go back to I guess the initial uh, conversation that Jiangsu and Jaime have at the towards the beginning of the film. Su asks Jaime, "So you're going to Africa to um, meet Great Hunger, not uh, have Great Hunger, not you know, to meet Great Hunger." So it, it, it's it's interesting because her 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 motivations. Jaime is is a little bit of an enigma. You're not sure what she's searching for, but she knows that you know that she wants to search for something larger than herself.
0: For sure. And so after this happens and she falls asleep, um, Jong-Soo just starts giving a heart-to-heart with uh, Ben. Yeah. And he starts alluding directly to what we were talking about earlier, you know, the Faulkner daddy issues. Yeah. And the temper... He's talking about, yeah, his dad forced him to burn his mother's clothing after she left with his sister, you know, because she couldn't stand to be with her, his father.
1: Yeah, important
0: to note all the burning references for
1: uh, Oh, yeah, because
0: Ben just immediately blurts it. Yeah. I burned down greenhouses. Yeah. It's like, wait, what the... <laughs> and then this is, yeah, plucked straight from the source material Mirakame, Murakami, if you want yeah. to talk yeah. about that.
1: So, so Ben uh, talks about... Um, he goes on that says, I burned down greenhouses. Um, yeah, it just gets... <laughs> I- I'm going to be paraphrasing a little bit, but you know, he-, he says, like, yeah, I burned down greenhouses. They're just useless, dirty things. Uh, and it gives me great joy to burn them down. And there's a lot of back and forth between jong Su and uh, Ben, where uh, Jong-Soo mentions that Ben like, but uh, why do you burn them down? Like, do you have you burn down other people's greenhouses what right does that give you and uh, with Ben response, like does rain have the right does rain make any judgment when it comes in washes everything away um, it, there's no moral judgment here it's kind of the, the moral laws of nature uh, so he equates this and it's a very strange scene. Uh, let me just preface that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he equates this idea of burning down rotten, dirty greenhouses as um, like a moral law of nature. as something that's just no judgment to be had. Just like just the
0: the way of the world. I, I would say, you mean amoral? Like there is no morality? It's just something that happens. I believe no. how he describes it yeah yeah so he he
1: says like um it's he equates morality towards uh just like uh natural order uh, um which kind of i guess gives more a little bit more insight in terms of the way that Ben functions through the world because he sees the act of just justice and burning and uh just um dictive actions as like a just part of a natural order. Um uh, he says it's all while being super stoned. Um and he goes on to talk about uh yeah I uh I burn a greenhouse every two months. Uh it gives me great joy. It's like a, I feel the, the base of it 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 fills the base to the bones of my body. Um, yeah the base sound and heart. Yeah. And then and, uh, Zhang Su follows up with saying, "Like, um, so you must have decided what the next greenhouse you're going to burn is." It's like, "Yes, it's very, very near. I actually came out here to scout. Um, when's the last time you burned a greenhouse? Oh, it was shortly at, Before I went to Africa. So, you know, I burn it, burn one every two months. It's been about two months. Um, so there's a lot of setup and ambiguous language used uh, oh, yeah. in this section here."
0: And, uh, yeah, Jong Soo is taking this very literally. Yeah. We're, we're meant to believe that he is. Um, and, yeah, right after this, though, he blurts out, like, almost unconnectedly, like, that he's in love with Jaime. Yeah. It's just. Something has sto- to get off All chest. stoned, and, yeah, uh, after this guy's confessed to being an arsonist, it's very strange. <laughs> very weird conversation. Yeah, it, it's it's very Murakami in that sense. It's just like
1: they're kind of talking through each other. They're not really
0: yeah,
1: bouncing off. It's more like stream of consciousness, like whatever's coming up in their heads, like yeah. Su needs to let out his grievances, uh Ben needs to like put out his potentially psychopathic tendencies. Um yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's an interesting mm-hmm. scene cuz uh I noted that this is kind of uh the fulcrum of the film because a lot of ben's um uh, outbursts his uh, his monologue about greenhouses um depending on how you interpret his words also um filter your perspective of the film whether you you uh think that Ben is A psychopath or whether you think that he's just messing with um, Jung-Soo in this scene
0: yeah it's very hard to tell because of how just I don't want to say fun loving is the right word but he's just very amicable yeah and he's said some you know crazy things before you know like the, the offerings to himself or whatever maybe he's just joking so yeah you're a little bit um disarmed but still you're you're very uneasy about this guy so the the next day they've been in leave in his sports car but jong su makes sure to uh call her a whore because she takes off her clothes very easily in front of men yep and you know fair but that's uh, uh it's very strange since he says this right after the night before, where he's like, I, I'm in love with her. Yeah. It's very similar to like the beginning when, you know. He just had calls, to slide, slide that disc in there. Yeah. Yeah, where she's like, Yeah, you called me ugly. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, and it,
1: what, it is <laughs> very important to note that this is the last time that Jaime is physically, oh, yeah. physically seen with the She exits
0: stage left here not to return. Yeah. Vanishes though she never existed. Yep. And so at this point, yeah, jong Su becomes obsessed with figuring out what is this physical b- greenhouse that's gonna gonna burn down near me. Yeah, and he has a dream where he's like a kid watching a burn a greenhouse burn down, and then you know he he's going to get a job. He leaves the job, starts driving around looking for greenhouses that uh, yeah look like they might be ones like dilapidated ones that he looks or he thinks would be good targets.
1: Yeah. And, and um
0: and I think this goes back
1: uh I guess earlier just the idea of setups and conclusions. Um you know, before uh, uh Jaime would talk about at the beginning of the film, just like, oh you should give a, a wash to your girlfriend and then Jiangsu acts accordingly, um, he takes Ben's words literally it's where Ben is saying, Oh, I'm planning to burn a greenhouse and <laughs> Uh, Jong-Soo's first reaction is just to monitor all the greenhouses nearby. So he he starts to create a routine because he's very suspicious of Ben where he just runs and creates like a a running routine for every greenhouse nearby his house, just making sure that uh, Ben doesn't come at some point in the nearby future to kind of burn a greenhouse down. It's very obsessive, weird, idiosyncratic behavior. And we start to learn a little bit more in terms of like jong Su's psyche At that point Um And just like All of his antagonists' Uh Attitudes
0: towards Ben Yeah It's It's like OCD behavior Yeah And Like at a certain point He Almost decides to burn one down Himself Yeah Just because He's He's so Anticipating I think The payoff of him investing this amount of time and you know routine into something he he becomes obsessed with he doesn't you know i think it goes back to him also being a little bit of a simpleton mentally yeah (laughs) um and he he can't think on a higher scale because uh all that plays into the later scene with him and ben but uh at this point yeah at at this point though uh the film makes it clear that jaime is gone because he he goes to her apartment can't get inside um, her phone number's been... Well, actually, while he's first doing that scouting tour of the greenhouses, he gets a call from Jaime that he answers, and she doesn't respond when he says hello, hello. Similar to those previous phone calls on the house phone at the farmhouse. Sure. Yeah, it's another phantom call. But then after that, yeah, her phone number gets turned off as he's trying to call her. Um, he's able to get the landlady to open her apartment, but, like... The room is clean. It's like when every previous scene had been, you know, she's not a very orderly person. You know, cat lived there, and there's no trace of the cat, and the room is clean, but her her stuff is all there, and her suitcase is left behind, but she's gone. It's all very very weird. Everything that was the way it was before is not anymore. In very peculiar ways, I thought it was interesting with the director. It's like almost an yeah, instant and that. everything
1: is gone. Yeah. So. And um, they don't give you any kind of um
0: clear indicator as to what happened, which kind of adds to the mystery of it all. Exactly. So yeah, he goes to her job and uh, I think it's her pantomiming or like aerobics class or something. They they haven't heard from her and yeah, he he tries to set one of the greenhouses on fire, but he's like doesn't have the nerve to. So he decides well, gotta go find Ben, since he's literally the only other person who would know.
1: Yeah, and uh, the whole second half of the movie becomes uh, stalking Ben. Uh, yeah, well, he, <laughs> he, goes and,
0: he goes and talks to him in that cafe. He finds him there, yeah. and Ben's reading Faulkner. He's reading the collected short stories of Faulkner. The first one is barn burning in that particular edition. <laughs> so... Um uh, do you want to talk about this scene? Yes, yeah, so
1: Jong um, uh, in, in trying to search answers for the disappearance of Jaime, uh, finds. Uh, he's been following Ben's car for a while and then sees that Ben pulls up at a bit of cafe, um, finds Ben in the cafe, and then uh, tries to talk to Ben about uh, Jaime. Um, but, you know, Ben being his amicable self invites uh Chang-Sui to sit down. Uh, he talks about, oh hey, you know, thank you for recommending me Faulkner, which is obviously an allusion to the source material. Um, and then, again, talks about, so, what kind of story you're writing? Um, and again, I think this leans into the the, the, the theme of perception and narrative, because the constant references that Ben makes throughout the films about what kind of story Ben is writing uh, can be interpreted in several ways. I, uh, the way I interpret it is I think the stories that we write are kind of the stories, our perceptions that we have of the world. Um, so um, Ben's curiosity as to the kind of story that jong Su is writing is can be viewed as um, a way of Ben asking Jong Tzu like what do you think uh, the reality of the situation is um, yeah and then uh, after that yes I, I have a comment
0: here so at the beginning when Jaime tells Ben that Jong su is a writer it, I believe it's the 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 lunch right after the airport where Ben specifically says I want to tell you my story
1: yeah I heard you write fiction I want to tell you my story yep.
0: yeah and then he ends up telling his story about the barn burning I, I, that's just the connection I just realized yeah he's sort of a very subtly admits things to Jong Su and I'm just wondering if that's because he doesn't respect him to actually get it, or if he's just braggadocious or whatever. I don't know. Anyways, I'm just musing. So
1: No, it's it's interesting, too, because um, that leaves... Uh, so if you think about, I guess, the two narratives that are being written up, where jong is suspicious of Ben for causing Jaime's disappearance, like know is that the reality or is that not the reality that could be the leaning towards the direction of it not being true could be maybe Ben was just uh, quoting a story back to uh, Jiangsu as you've mentioned um, and just like one to impress his new friend about reading one of his favorite authors Um,
0: yeah so yeah so after Ben explains to him that he missed the screenhouse burning down because it was too close to him, you know Jang-Soo still I don't think really gets it, but he knows that um Jaime's something's wrong she's been disappeared in some way, and Ben clearly knows more than he's letting on, you know he's saying you know. She was very lonely and broke, but he's like, but she she liked Jongsu, so uh, it's not a whole loss, you know. Good luck, buddy. Yeah. And uh, this new girl comes in, a new young single girl comes in uh, to meet with Ben, and then you just start getting your eyebrows raised, raised up because oh, you you think you link back to you know the female objects in and the and the bathroom is like, what is this guy doing with these women? right So <laughs> and, what?
1: and it, it seems as though yeah, yeah. Ben mentioned that uh, he burns a greenhouse every two months and then yeah. right around two months later a new girl comes in so then you say this, mm-hmm. think, yeah, so. oh is there, is there an equivalence towards
0: greenhouses with these uh, these women that go disappearing exactly you're, you're, you've made that connection if you hadn't already so Jong-Soo becomes Detective Jong-Soo and so he, he visits the restaurant of Jaime's relatives because he knew them somehow from, you know, uh, the community. I actually love that. He becomes Detective jong Su. Basically, that's the rest of the film. Yeah. Um, it's like, yeah, he he kind of takes it
1: on himself to, like,
0: yeah, play a role. I guess
1: he wasn't meant to be.
0: Yeah, so in this scene... Um, we get some personal details that hadn't been revealed before. jong uh, Su mentions to these people that his sister is married with kids, but this, this character is never in the film, so that's just a little random. I'm not sure it's like completely throwaway. And then he also mentions he doesn't keep in touch with his mother. Um, and then we get uh, the very obvious uh, feeling that Jaime's relatives are not real proud of her yeah it's like she can't come home till she <laughs> pays off her credit, credit cards card dead. Yeah. <laughs> and um they say the story about her falling in the well is completely fake and that she makes up stories and that's that's one of her skills so um Jiangsu goes back to the farm and he starts asking around about the well yeah Su is very stream of consciousness sort of like he goes from one thing to one thing that's like right in the forefront of his mind he's very very simple in that way yeah and uh yeah and there's also, an old guy old guy who says yeah i, I don't know if this well." and uh yeah does yeah. the well exist does it not exist it keeps going back and forth yeah it's, it's like the cat you know the cat i think is like an introduction to this like is everything that we say is real actually real but anyways then he goes into full stalker mode Goes to the city to follow Ben around <laughs> and uh yeah, he, he sees Ben exercising. Um falls into church and lunch and then I thought it started getting a little goofy when he's driving the the truck on the rural roads, the Porsche, you know, it's like how how would you not notice him? <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah, it's there's like, a little <laughs> bit of suspicion. Well actually that kind of goes into that that the, might uh, be the split narrative too. It's uh is it might be intentional. <laughs> no, it, it definitely, because I think it kind of feeds into, um, is Ben actually seeing, is Ben noticing Jong following him and just deciding, you know, he needs to avoid him as best as possible because he knows that jung suspects him of doing something? Or is just, like, Ben is so oblivious that he doesn't notice, uh, you know, all this behavior that's happening. He doesn't notice jung at all uh, trailing him. So I think it kind of feeds the two uh two narratives really well. If you think that, you know, he caused the disappearance of Jaime or not.
0: So yeah, that that whole following sequence of scenes culminates in him creeping up on Ben staring out over this rural scenic lake. Yeah. And very gatsby like. Yeah. What what is why yes. does he come out here is, you know, the question they are supposed to have, I think. And, um... Yeah, after that, jong Su goes back to the house. And he gets a call from his mother out of the blue. She hasn't talked to him in 16 years. And they go and get lunch. And he starts asking her about the well. And she's saying all these things to him. It's just not... natural conversation to be having with like a relative it's very weird and i personally my interpretation of film, i don't think this scene is real life oh
1: interesting so you kind of think that the i guess the the mother is like a fabricated part of his imagination
0: i think so my personal interpretation because this is one of the calls you know at the house that he he actually gets and you know like I said, it's up to interpretation. But then, yeah, the mother just exits the film after saying, yeah, I think there was a well. She just drops in after 16 years, talks about a well, and bounces. Yeah. It's a little circumspect. Yeah. It's a little strange. A little strange. And so, so yeah, then we're, we're moving towards, you know, the, the final action. Yeah. Because, you know, one more time, jong Su goes back to the city, and... Uh, he's he's waiting outside Ben's apartment complex. Ben walks up on him. He's like, yep. yo, I thought it was you. <laughs> and like, Jung-Soo tries to lie and Ben is just not even off-put by this. He's like, yo, come come on up. I'm having some friends over. Yeah. Let's party. And, uh, once it... he's still so weirdly likable.
1: Yeah. Even at this it's, point. <laughs> it's
0: so annoying how likable
1: he is. It's just like, you want... <laughs> He says all the wrong things that rub you the wrong
0: way, but the way that Steven Young plays that character just, like, so brilliant. Yeah, and so... And he has the cat. Like, he has a physical cat now. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I found it on as, as a stray on the street, and... Oh, uh, and, and then something to note. So, like, uh, when
1: um, jong Su enters the apartment... Uh, Ben is getting ready for this party, but then as he opens the door, the his supposed stray cat leaves, um, enters the garage, and they're trying to pick up the cat. Uh, jong Su calls the cat by the name that Jaime gave the cat, Boyle, yes. and, and the cat responds, so that's yeah. another mark to jong Su as to, oh, hey, maybe this is uh, maybe this is not Ben's cat, maybe this is uh, an animal that he lifted from behind me mean, as like a trophy
0: yeah and it's like oh this cat is real okay not sure if I buy that completely but you know this, this surface level interpretation I'm with it that's what you're supposed to naively assume and um so yeah that happens and well before that he goes to the, the same bathroom and opens that same drawer and the watch is in there and it's like that's the watch oh, that,
1: that Ben gets deny earlier, yeah.
0: Yeah. So another thing, like, is that a trophy he's taken from a from a victim of some sort? And uh, Jiangsu at this point is fully Ben is either, you know, a serial killer or something, you know, equally as terrible. And the fact that he sticks around is a little weird, but he uh I think he puts these things together while in the company, because they have this dinner party, and basically that new girl that Ben was with earlier, this same sort of sequence plays out, where she's, you know, making a fool of herself talking about the Chinese, or is so- something to that effect. Yeah, she she's mentioning
1: about how, I guess... Uh, some Chinese customers that pick up like makeups within her uh, store booth just uh, uh, throw throw money in very weird. It was a very like, uh, just like kind of a dumb anecdote that she threw in there. But it, it's to, um, yeah, kind of to your point, um, there's this kind of repetition that goes on where there's a new girl in his life. It's framed almost identically to the first time that Jaime was introduced into Ben's friends group. They kind of bring her along she's a little bit naive and um kind of used for their entertainment um, so as a viewer and understanding things from John Su's perspective you kind of built this idea that how you know putting all these setups together you derive a possible conclusion of um, you know if uh ben is talking about these greenhouses that he burns every two months, there's a new girl that comes in, uh, there's all these accessories that are left over from uh, just these uh, different girls that might have been in Ben's life uh, you have this cat that may have been high knees that Ben has you put all these pieces together in the same way that jong
0: Su starts yeah. to put all these pieces together and, and during this scene he's sitting in that same you know, very reserved reclined, kingly Power position, um, and it transitions. I, I don't remember the music cue here exactly, but I do remember the music getting a little bit more dramatic from this point in the film onward. I could be mistaken, but
1: yeah, there's a little you,
0: bit. Of- you know, you know that like Ben is the enemy. This dude is a weirdo, and you're connecting that with John Su's state of mind, and. Yeah, we're, we're approaching, you know, the, the dramatic ending. Because, um, yeah, jong Su pieces out of there, and Ben stops him for a second and he's, tells him he's too serious, and he needs to find the bass sound in his own heart. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it's just like...
1: Call back to the last time he's uh, discussed that. Yeah. Um, last and time.
0: He's but, like, yeah. Well, earlier um, in the sequence, Ben... Uh, Ben asked John Su what he was writing about again. And John Sue responded that life is like a mystery. So, uh, alluding to sort of like his detective phase right now, I think. And he's basically trying to figure, figure Ben out. And uh, I think this relates back to Ben just being, you know, super arrogant. And he... I think he's doing, you know, illicit things. But, you know, he's very proud of it. And he's, you know desires notoriety despite that, you know, undermining, you know, what he's trying to do. So it's sort of like a, a line he has to walk, you know. So he's very, very in love with himself. And, uh... But yeah, so at that point, jong Su pieces out of there. Um There's a, co- a couple he, actions that happen
1: at the end, yeah.
0: Yeah, he, he wraps up, you know, some loose ends in his life. He goes to the court another court sequence where he sees his dad you know read the assault charge and given a prison sentence so the the petition didn't do anything his dad and him are completely you know separated so he's cut off from all family this is another reason why i think the mother conversation was not real because you know i think he is completely severed from his family at this point in the movie because at this point he sells the calf on the farm and um kind of his last uh like attachment really to that space exactly and it's
1: it's akin to like uh him giving out the cat it's like a sacrificial um action where it's almost as though the veneer of whatever innocent life he may or may not have led it's kind of gone at this point uh due to just uh all of this anger that's been boiling and burning inside him throughout the film.
0: Yeah. In a sense, I think. That's, that's close to it. Yeah, he has... He goes running again, and uh, then he he has a wet dream about Jaime, and then we get the... I believe this is, like, the only scene in the movie where jong Su is not... It's not, like, framed around Jong Su's presence. It cuts to Ben in the apartment, in his own apartment, with that makeup box, and he starts working on the the girl's... The the new girl he starts working on her face. There, um, Yeah, and yeah. There,
1: there's an interesting theory about the end there, but I guess we can uh, circle back to that.
0: Yeah, so, you know, he's preparing this girl for something um, in some way, and so... That leads to the dramatic finale. And uh, do you want to do you want to describe this? You know. Yeah. So um, Ben comes and meets
1: jong Su in a field that's surrounded by greenhouses. He Zhang Su approaches with his truck. Um, ben walks up to his truck and says, "Hey, there's a lot of greenhouses around here. Uh, where's Jaime? He you said that. Isn't she with you? I thought we were gonna go talk together." Jong-Soo gets out of his truck and stabs Ben and that's the uh, climactic action and what's interesting about that is that he stabs Ben, Ben starts to run back to his car, his Porsche just all bloodied, his guts are He's just struggling to get back to his Porsche Uh, Jong-Soo chases him further uh, goes up to him in his Porsche and uh, stabs him several more times in the stomach and while, while he's doing that Uh, Ben grabs jong su and gives him a hug. Um, So, even in Death's Death, there's some ambiguity where you're not even sure up until the very end whether or not Ben was responsible for the disappearance of Jaime, whether or not Ben killed Jaime. There's no, um, I guess, reaction or revelation there. Um, So, at the very end of that, um, jong uh stuffs Ben in his Porsche, uh, strips all of his clothes, bloody clothes, um, goes back to his truck and grabs a can of kerosene, lights a match, or puts the kerosene on the Porsche, and Ben's body lights a match. Ben is effectively burning uh, to death um, within uh, his Porsche. as like a coffin. Um,
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jong-Soo is stripped naked at this point okay, also. He's completely I'm... naked, yeah. Yeah, throwing so, all his clothes in there with him
1: in in the in the deep of winter, no less. So yeah. Uh, then once he's finished uh, burning his clothes, similar to how he's burned his mom' clothes in the description he gave earlier in the film, <clears throat> he walks back to his truck, uh, drives away. Um, it's um, it's pouring down the, as he's driving away the the Porsche scene in the background getting further and further away um, with no clear reaction with uh, foggy windows with uh, a small flame just heading in the background uh, nothing is clear no conclusions are given it's just fully just the final action of the film um, and yeah. then you hear the, uh, the soundtrack come up again um, which I-, I thought was just like a powerful ending, like, and a very ambitious one, I'd say.
0: Yeah, for sure. The, uh, a truck drives by also during this sequence. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and doesn't stop.
1: <laughs> Jong, Jong-soon makes, uh, a note to kind of hide over, uh, uh, Ben's dead body within the Porsche when the truck
0: drives by. Like yeah, even in this sequence, it's the most awkward thing possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's, that is what happens in the film, you know, and I I think we can basically lay this out into three possibilities, um, or one way to lay out three possibilities for interpreting this, and I'm gonna say, number one, Jong-Soo is imagining everything, number two, Jong-Soo is imagining, you know, some of the things that happen in this movie. And three, everything is reality and i I lean towards number two I, and
1: I think this kind of goes back to um, it's an interesting film because I don't think any one interpretation is the full truth um, there's a couple yes. there's a couple of those hints dropped in um, this idea of simultaneous existence there could be narrative threads that uh, happen to coexist i think that's a important part of the film's construction because everything is ambiguous there's a, a mystery to the world um and there are many different ways to explain the actions that happen in the film and i think it's so yeah sorry go ahead
0: sorry so so i was gonna go on from that yeah that's what i was thinking right after watching it you know yeah trying to deduce and I was like this is the wrong way to think about it yeah because it doesn't matter yeah uh, what matters is that he is an unreliable narrator yeah you know he is aspiring fiction writer you know it's very clearly established that this is not exactly what you perceive right you know the director is very clear at making things you know not quite right you know, as they would be, you know, in, in reality. So you are... It's up to you to, you know, take in what you see and come to a conclusion. And that's infuriating for some people, but it's... I, I've seen uh,
1: yeah, a lot of the discussion around this film has been, like, is Ben a serial killer, yes or no? Um, and it's very interesting, the when you watch it, it's, you know, it's very skewed towards Jong Su's perspective, I guess, for an initial viewing where you kind of think, oh yeah, obviously I remember kind of our first conversation we had about this movie. uh, When it first came out in 2018, Um, I think like our, our initial reaction was like, oh yeah, obviously Ben is a serial killer. Like everything pointed to that direction. But the, the more you kind of like, look back at some of the clues and symbols it's like oh wait maybe he's uh not a serial killer like there's a total reading that way uh perhaps yeah uh,
0: yeah um but to conclude what i was about to say yep. there definitely isn't an infinite number of ways to interpret this you know it's a couple of different possibilities no yeah you know, i agree it's it's ambiguous and I think a film is completely meaningless and pointless otherwise. But I agree. it's to make you—it's th- to make you think that y- you—you uh, know—it parallels, you know, legal judgment, you know, happening to his father. You know, evidence is presented, and you come to a conclusion after you know a, a legal process. So we see a judgment, you know, in the form of an execution, basically at the end. But we don't actually see any evidence of a crime at any point. And that's, I think, the main thrust of what the director's going for. Because you can choose between these, I think, two or three valid interpretations of of what happens in the movie. And um, I'm going to... Can I briefly explain what I think the three possibilities are? Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, so I think, yeah, like you mentioned, I think number one, very popular one, and I think the naive assumption, Ben is a serial killer. Um, and then there's also the slight variation of that where I think he's possibly, like, a pimp sex trafficker guy. And I have evidence for both of these theories. So, Ben being a serial killer, why is he driving to this remote lake on a rural road? You know. Is that where he dumps bodies? And, yeah, and... My only issue with this, and yeah, he, he makes her disappear. Jaime, disappear. These women, they disappear. But my issue with this, I think it, it lacks some completeness because, you know, how would you get rich doing just being a psychopath? Because it's very clear that he doesn't seem to have a real job, you know. And in Murakami's work, it's even more clear in the source material that this is, this guy doesn't seem to work. And that's what lends me towards the sex trafficker theory and so that goes back to the great gatsby illusion. So great gatsby um so gatsby gets we learn he f- gets his wealth, sorry, spoilers for the great gatsby. you uh, should check it out. <laughs> he uh he acquires his wealth via bootlegging during prohibition era. And so that this guy is engaging in a criminal activity of some sort is what I believe so I think a, a solid interpretation with evidence is that he is promising these young poor girls that you know they're gonna live a life of misery anyways he might as well profit off of it and he's gonna promise to you know get them a new life he takes them on a trip somewhere gets them to trust him but then he sells them off to you know he mentions there's lots of Gatsbys in Korea. I think this is an allusion to some, like, sex trafficking operation, possibly. But I might be reading way into this, but just the way that there's that, you know, class divide with these rich people basically seeing these lower-class girls that he brings in as, like, you know, entertainment. It's just that power dynamic seems to head in that very messed-up direction. Um, but... Uh, so basically I think that's That's one I don't want to say that's my favorite Interpretation of the film because that sounds kind of Messed up but I think that's the one that has the most evidence If you have to choose an ending uh, If you want to comment from here Yeah
1: and, I, I think um, there's also I guess to kind of play devil's Advocate for that there's the perspective of Ben not being a serial killer And um,
0: yeah, Yes I, I, think, I was going to talk about
1: that next Right. Uh, did, did you want to discuss that, or maybe I can dig into? No, no. You uh,
0: give your. Th- I, I want you to give your thoughts on my theory because I, I threw a bunch out there. Oh yeah. Um, let me
1: uh, <laughs> let me back up a little bit. Um, yeah. So, I guess I actually haven't really thought too much about. I guess Ben being a sex trafficker theory, but I also that that horror comment. That's
0: another thing I wrote
1: down. Right. Um. I I, I guess um. But-
0: it, a North Korea comment, yeah, I mean... It
1: it does, um, hit on, I guess, the motivation of Ben because I think a lot of Ben is an enigma and one of the main things is, like, why is he have these connections with, like, Jaime and then, I guess, the relationship he has with the girl right after her. Um... Yeah, it's... And, you know, it, it does leave credence to, I guess, some of the tangible evidence within the film. Um... You know, like the trophies that he has. And the the they have a, a, a little vignette towards the end where he's, uh, I guess, applying makeup towards I guess the the his the newest girl that he's with. So I think there's like um more of a motivation basis I guess for uh, Ben effectively pimping out these girls. But um yeah, I guess. I want Ben to be a good guy, <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, it's funny because well, it's like a lot of it is. Uh, you kind of choose the story you want to believe. Uh, not only does Jiangsu do that, but you as an audience kind of lean towards that way as well. Um, but yeah, so I guess my thoughts. Um, the more I watched it, I kind of like. I am a little bit rooting for Ben. I guess that's like my personal thing because I'm just like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I, I don't. Well, that's. Uh, I'd, there's evidence for that too Yes. Yeah, so, so <laughs> the idea of uh, yeah and I guess as we talked I was just sort of thinking more about uh, I guess Ben's motivations and um, kind of the key conceit uh, behind Ben not being a serial killer is that the inciting event for Jung-Soo kind of looking at these greenhouses and all of that was that when they all got stoned Ben told the story about the burning greenhouses um, but what that could have been is just an allusion towards uh, Faulkner and evidence that, oh, hey, I know that my new friend, jong Su told me about Faulkner, so I read Faulkner and just decided to quote it back to him. Um, it's, it's like a, that, that gives some credence towards the idea that maybe, like, Ben, everything that Ben is saying towards jong Su is meant out of kindness meant under friendship and the evidence towards Jaime disappearing uh there's like bits and pieces there where when jong-su visits back Jaime's family she, they talk about his credit her credit card debt there's something we hadn't mentioned uh briefly in the film when uh jong-su visits Jaime's old workplace uh the uh, Jaime's old work colleague, the uh, I guess when they did the part time work, describes that uh yeah, girls just disappear like that all the time. Like, you know, you, you have so many issues, it's tough being uh like a a girl in a country like this. So by ethic.
0: Yeah, yeah, she says this is no country for women. This is no country for women, yeah. You're you're using that as evidence for the the contrary, but I think that's more evidence for the theory I've already presented oh
1: interesting so. yeah yeah <laughs> you know that's the, I mean that's great because more I, ambiguity and more yeah I think uh, that that's kind of why I, I like I find myself liking this film is that you can kind of take plot points and pieces of information symbols uh, within this film and y- use them to kind of feed the, the the perspective or narrative you want
0: to be true um, and Exactly, and it, it goes back to what I said before, that there is no evidence, like, admissible in a court of law or, you know, that that would make Ben guilty of anything, you know. And by all accounts, he is a nice, you know, friendly guy. And I think there is evidence that, yeah, he's completely well-meaning, and he just, um... It's circumstantial, and we're you know, filtered through jong Su's lens to the point where, you know, you know, Ben is a... He has all these friends, you know, he, he's higher class and he, he does well for himself and he, um, you know, he, he goes to church, he, he calls his mother, He you know, he does all these outwardly very... Um, by all appearances, he's a moral, moral person and um, someone that people like hanging out with which is uh I, I, that deflects a little bit away from him being a psychopath you know him being able to interact with you know a lot of people but you know if he's a part of you know this elite you know sex trafficking ring or something that that's, there's also evidence for that so I don't know I don't, I don't think he's murdering these girls I, I think I don't think he's a serial killer i I think he's either innocent or a sex trafficker i'm going i'm making it a binary option (laughs) but it's uh the nature of this film is quantum though uh (laughs) yeah for sure there's there's no measurement made on the system to figure anything out so
1: yeah and i I do think um you kind of mentioned it's not like a, a film with like limitless possibilities obviously it's um uh, there's like very set paths. It's, um, I think I explained to you when I like I, I like rewatch it It's uh, not as deep as I would have thought originally, but I think the film like plays like a parable in a sense where you kind of bring your own interpretation and perspective to it. Um, it alludes to issues related to classes. I think kind of going back to this uh, classist issue where I, I think with Jong Su's perspective, uh, not only is the jealousy fueling his, I guess, um, egomania towards uh, Ben's character, but there's that class of struggle where he kind of sees Ben in the social stratus uh, where he's able to kind of potentially get away with horrendous things. Um, think of it like a la American Psycho, where You know, Mm -hmm. he he's in this kind of bubble where he's protected, and a lot of the second half of the film kind of depicts uh, Jiangsu trying to follow Ben in certain areas, but there's constantly some divide or distance between them. Um, And you kind of bring along with that, I guess it's it's not like a direct social commentary, but you kind of bring like, oh, what are my thoughts in terms of. what are the moral values of a person of this class and what does that mean Um, like is Ben capable of committing these horrendous acts and is my perception of Ben influenced by my perception of the kind of class he's in Um, and I think it's never so overt but it's alluded to in a way that kind of makes you critically think about your own attitudes towards these different structures and I, I just thought mm-hmm. that was like an amazing way to kind of present some of the issues that they tackle within this um, just kind of put yourself into that
0: for sure yeah Yeah, because Jong-Soo does have an inherent distrust he's very clearly from a different him and Jaime are from a different you know social caste than yeah. Ben and there is a power dynamic inherent in that and the film does play off some existing tropes of you distrust the super weird loner rich guy, you know, because of films like American Psycho, right? You know, you you know something's awry based off preconceived uh, expectations for a character of that type, and you know, both societal and through you know the cultural works that depict characters like that. So yeah, you you are being you know subliminally messaged towards a specific conclusion but you're also being guided towards you know, like conflicting conclusions in many senses because you know is this guy virtuous or is he is he doing something messed up yeah and that kind of uh
1: brings brings back to like uh i me looking at jongsu am i relating to jongsu's perspective do i have a different perspective on the situation away from jongsu um cuz it follows that character but you may not necessarily agree with how that character views the world but yeah i just thought it was amazing um and it made me think a little bit more than other films normally made me think
0: yeah no it's a great movie i uh i reread my review of it and i i focus more on the technicals and you know a broad level overview it's spoiler free and um yeah, ch- check that out if you're if you're on my website. Um I yeah, I still like this movie a lot. Um yeah, like like you said, I don't think it's quite as deep as I initially thought on the first watch, but I think that what it does do, it does very well. And um yeah, I'll, I'll probably watch it again in my life, you know, which is more than I can say for the overwhelming majority of movies I have watched. <laughs> that's that's awesome, yeah. I think it's a uh... It's a thinker for sure. <laughs> yeah, so highly recommends. Yeah, All right.
1: and, and I, uh, I hope that anyone listening, uh, you got some some value out of this and. Uh, yeah. yeah we, uh, Hopefully, it'll, we went from.
0: Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, just um,
1: give it a watch. <laughs> I'll, I'll
0: yeah, leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, we 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 went through the whole thing, so uh, I hope this was not overwhelming or a little bit too uh, too boring for you, but um, we're going to iron out the kinks of uh, our format, figure out what works best. You know, it's our first episode and uh, we're also not completely sure about the frequency of our output, but we'll uh, hopefully be able to get content to you um, several more times this year. So thanks for listening, everybody. And, uh, you have any closing thoughts on none? um
1: no i mean um i love burning um i would definitely just re- it's not the movie for everyone i would say there's a little, you know i think we kind of reference it throughout the movie the review but you know it's uh there's some adult content in there but i i think just if you take the time to kind of sit through it and uh, approach it
0: with uh just an open mind you'll really enjoy it for sure All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. And uh, catch you next time.